What does faith mean in the hour-by-hour, day-by-day experience of our lives? That's what we want to start to think about tonight. We're going to spend the next three weeks thinking about it in different aspects. But before we do, before we get started here, let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to give you thanks for our Lord Jesus Christ. And we come to thank you that there is a sufficiency in him, and we're coming and asking for a work by your Spirit to teach us what it means to live by faith. Father, we want to glorify your name. We want to be able to live in such a way that you can work in your church in these days, work in this world in these days, and we're coming to trust you for deep works by your Spirit in us. Small as we are, Father, do a work here that will touch your body and quicken it and, and revive it. Lord, we, we long for sweeping works of the Spirit of God. To strengthen your people, to take hold of the vastness of the salvation in Christ. So begin here tonight, we pray, and, and we look to you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Well-known verse, Galatians 2, 20. Paul sums up the experience of his life. He's speaking about what it means, that how he lives. We're going to touch on this as we start. He says this, For I have been, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The life that I now live, I live by faith, he says. I have been crucified, but I'm alive. Crucified with Christ, nevertheless, I live. You're not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. In the book of Colossians, we're told that we have been made complete in Christ. I wonder if you believe that tonight. Complete. Now, when he says that it's complete, Paul, he, the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, the book of Ephesians, these books that we're going to be in tonight, all written about the same time. He's thinking about these same things. And as he thinks about this and he talks about it, we think about this idea of being complete. That means, he, you know, say it in Philippians this way. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's saying that there's nothing that will come up in life. He's not saying I can do anything. He can't fly. But what he's saying is that I can do anything which God puts in my, in my path. Everything he demands from me can be accomplished. And the reason it can be accomplished is through Christ who strengthens me, who will give me what I need at the time that I need it. Am I complete? I'm complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we want to think about how that works out in practical experience over the next few weeks. I'm going to kind of take our life, and I think about that, and, and, and kind of stretch it or put, pull it apart into strands, right? The fact is that they overlap. The fact is it isn't quite as clean as the outline makes it look, all right? But I think that in order to understand what the life of faith is and how, how we live this ongoing life of faith, we have to kind of pull it into areas. Because we saw at the very beginning of our study here that faith, first of all, depends on what God has said. We don't, faith is never creative. I can't just make something happen because I want it to happen. I can't believe my way into an experience. I have to first 
find out what God has promised, and then I exercise faith. I put my confidence in what He said, and He will bring it to pass. But it always depends first on a move to understand what God has done. As we work out our life, and there are these different strands of life, there are different things that God has told us about that we need to focus on. As we work it out, it will, it will come all together, and we're just trusting the Lord. We walk trusting the Lord. But I want to put it in these three stands. The first, it's on your notes there, and I kind of put it there on purpose as overcoming myself. That's the first way. What are we going to, what are we going to have? How are we going to have to do this? Well, I'm going to have to overcome myself. I put it in there. I note that, that, you know, pushes buttons and jerks chains, but you know, okay, it's the fact. That when I start to live the Christian life, when that, when God puts that life in, we're going to talk about in just a moment, He puts that life in, there's a driving force to do the will of God. That, that comes there. If that isn't in your heart, then you're not born again. But that, that desire that comes there, immediately I run into problems. I have a desire to go forward. I have a desire to know God. But I immediately, almost immediately, Face the fact that there is something pulling against it. Well, I know that there's a world out around me which doesn't want that and is pushing against me. All right? I know that there is an enemy, the devil, and if it was only the world and the devil, I could avoid them. But it's not. I find that I have an enemy within I have to overcome. And, uh, we want to, if I'm going to live by faith, I'm going to have to understand how that's dealt with. The second problem is the is the overcoming of the circumstances of life. That's not had to do with evil. That just has to do with the fact that life is tough. Bumps and bruises, confusions, problems that come up, difficulties. This life, this earth is not where it ought to be. It was created by God, but this it's not going the way God intended it to go in the sense that He didn't intend sickness. He didn't intend the wars. He didn't intend the economic drought. He doesn't intend all this. Death isn't, wasn't supposed to be there, but we're living in this. And if I'm going to live by faith, I have to find a way to work through all of the difficulties of life trusting God. Then there's a third aspect. And that's the fact that I'm not only I'm created just to get through life. We are not created for that. You and I were created to bring to pass blessing in the lives of other people. That blessing is not just that they should be comforted, but that God himself would do a work in other people because he's done a work in you. All right. And that's, we have to walk by faith in that also. Now those two, the last two, we're going to leave for later on, but this, this evening, we want to concentrate on this question of what is, how is it that we are to overcome what has been done for us, that we can live by faith in the Son of God. Now let's turn over to a book of Ephesians, book of Ephesians chapter 2. Two sections I want to, to be looking at here tonight. First of all, in Ephesians chapter 2, then we'll make a, a slight diversion to passage in Colossians and then back to Ephesians in uh, chapter 4. In chapter 2, verse 1, this is the situation we were in. And we want to look at this because this, this passage is very often, we think of it with respect to how we're justified by faith. But I want you to note as you read through here, it, it, again, they use this verse, one of these verses in all the theology books on on what it means to be justified. 
But I want you to note as we read through here, the passage really isn't about justification, although it has to be there. All right, we're not trying to exclude that. But this passage is about something else. This is the condition we were in when we were in need of salvation. And it begins in verse 1. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Paul's speaking to me, speaking to you. He's speaking to all of us, Spirit of God speaking. We were dead. That dead means that we had no touch with God, no, no way to connect with God. We didn't have that. And he says that this is what in which you were formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. There's our enemies, the world around us, telling us which way to go, and that's what we did. According to the prince of power of the air, who's working in that, the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience, among them we all too, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and here's the point I want you to note. This is, this is the dilemma we're in. And we're, by nature, children of wrath. All right, not just conduct. We didn't just pile up a, a record which was bad with regards to God. We were, by nature, the children of wrath. And this is important to Paul because uh, I remember listening to a, a series on Romans. This is way back. And I, I can't even remember which of the many men that I listened to in those days it was who was speaking. And he was speaking about the book of Romans. He said that a Christian has to face when they, when they begin to seek after God, they have two great problems. And he sums up this way. He said, I have to be delivered. I have to be forgiven for what I have done. But I have to be delivered from who I am. I have to be forgiven for what I've done. But I have to be delivered from what I am. And it's, it's deliverance from what you are that Paul really has in focus here. Because what was I? I was a child of wrath, but I was by nature that. And the thought here is that this is not something I just, a habit I developed. It was what had become real for me. I do certain things because it's the way I act. I used to fish a good bit, and in places where I was fishing, you could catch all kinds of different things in the lake. But you could almost always tell, as soon as you set the hook and pull it a little bit, oh, I've got one of these or one of those. Because some fish act differently than other fish, and they just do what their nature is intended to do. And some go back and forth, and some sit there like a brick. Some run away from you. They do certain things because it's in their nature. They don't decide to do that. When the squirrels come running across the road, you say, why does that squirrel do that? It's just what squirrels do. And why do they stop right in the middle and turn around under my wheel? Why don't they just keep going? Well, I don't know why exactly they do that. But it's in their nature to do it. And Paul says, here's our, our problem. We were what? By nature, children of wrath. We did the wrong thing out of a natural response because of the condition of our heart. Now, that was our condition. And I want you to see what God's done for us. Again, we know these verses, I think. But God being rich in mercy. What a tremendous verse. I think it's one of the great verses of the New Testament. But God being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he has loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, what do you do for us? Forgive us? That's not where Paul's going, although forgiveness is involved here. What do you do? He made us alive together with him. 
How about that? <laughs> you were dead. He made you alive together with Him. He came and did that. Now this, this, this corresponds, excuse me, corresponds with that moment when you were justified. When you came and entrusted yourself to Him. Because what you did, we saw that last week, what you did is you didn't, it wasn't that you theologically understood all the details of justification. Or how it all worked out, and you just knew this. He had paid the price for the sin, and you had sin. And you came to a Savior, and you put your life into His hands, and He saved you. All right? He did for you what you needed done for you. Not because you understood what you needed done for you, but because you trusted the one who could do it. And the Spirit of God brought you there. There are some things you had to believe, but you basically were asking Him to do what He knows how to do. To save you. Well, when he did that, he justified you and gave you a position with God. We saw that last week. But at the same time, at the same time that you were justified, something else came to pass. You were born again of the Spirit of God. You were made to live. You were made alive in Christ. That's This is tremendous. Now, the entirety of your walk, the rest of your life, depends on what happened at that moment. That is, this is how we live this out. Because we have been united to Jesus Christ and made one with Him in that life. All right, even when we were dead, it's verse 5, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. Not because of anything you did, because He's a, he's a gracious God when we trust Him. And He says, raised us up with Him. And seat us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us. All right? So he does go ahead and he, he talks about all that's ahead for you. And it's wonderful, all that's ahead for you. But then he draws back, for by grace you're saved. Through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. That's the verse they always put in about justification. And it's true that that's how you're justified. But he's not thinking justification here. He's thinking about the life that we're going to live. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works that no man should boast, for we are his workmanship. He's crafted us. That's what the thought is there. Like a person who builds things. Like a furniture builder who who makes it happen. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not for just eternity, but for good works which he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. The importance of our lives is, is incredible, right? And you, you're going to have to see that. We are nothing when we come, right? But God prepared in the grace of God. This is where the grace comes in. He has determined that he would do a work in human beings which would change them to the place where they could do works which would glorify God, which would last for eternity. I, I hammer and hammer and hammer with students trying to get that across. You, you can do a lot of things in this earth that, and I've done a lot of things, and again, they were necessary things. All right? Over the weekend, I had to get a tire fixed on my car. Okay, it had to happen. I mean, the car has to run. We have to have it there. But it will have bad tires again, and it will finally rot and fall apart. It's not going to last. It's not, I'm not going to be driving it in heaven. All right? It's, it's done. All right? I mean, it's going to be done sooner or later. But when we're here tonight, God can do something in this room among us that will be still effective 
which will change the course of lives here and people that are listening and will it will be to the glory of God throughout the rest of eternity. That's something. It could happen. Now, that's not unique to me. All right? It's not just because I have these meetings, then it can happen because I'm standing up here. I, I talk to students, you know, I tell them, why are they here? They get to listen to me all the time. They have to listen to me all the time. All right? So they can hear this truth and in a sense we, but why are they in this meeting? It's possible that during the course of this meeting, that God would enable them to trust Him in such a way that a person is changed because they're a participant in this meeting. You're a participant in the meeting. When you got finished with this meeting, you could say something to someone beside you which would change the course of their life, which would, which would build them in Jesus Christ, which would point them the right direction. It, it could happen, um, and we're going to be talking about that in a couple of weeks in detail. But you see, God has prepared works for you to perform. Right? He's, 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 he's made you. You are a workmanship. When he brought you to himself, he started a work. And he who began the good work will do what? Finish it till the day of Christ Jesus. Today is important. That's why we go over that. It's important how we live today. Right? Now, tonight, again, we're not thinking so much about how we can become a blessing, how we can go into that. We are thinking about this fact that if I am going to do that, I'm going to have to live uprightly. If I am going to glorify God on this earth, I'm going to have to live like He lived. And as much as I could want to aim at that and do it in some other method or by some other method, the only way I can accomplish that, to look like Jesus, is to walk by faith. I'm going to go quickly to uh, just refer to a passage in the book of Colossians. Right, it's the next thing on your notes. It's I think it's on the first in the back here, uh, Colossians chapter two, verse six. Now I'm going to that verse for this reason. The book of Colossians deals with a heresy that is common in the church, and the heresy goes this way. This I'm not going to go into a lot of Colossians, but here's here's the heresy. Jesus Christ is a good start to the Christian life. He's a good start. You need to you need to start there. But if you want to go on to the heights, there's other things you have to go to. This is, a, this, is a, this is a good foundation, but we build on that foundation to something else. Right? And in this book he has, uh, if you, you can start there, but now you have to get into asceticism. You have to, you know, do this sort of thing. Eat this and don't do, don't eat that and do these sorts of things. You, legalism is in there. Uh, if you want to go to the heights, you need a vision of an angel. Once you've seen an angel, you're really gonna, your spiritual life will soar. These are the kinds of things that were coming up in the book, in Colossae. And Paul is addressing that. The book is about the supremacy of Jesus Christ, and he's saying this, that he's the foundation and he is the finish. To use the words that would have been in, if he was taking it from the book of Hebrews, he is the author, he is the perfecter of our faith. He is the alpha and he is the omega. He is everything. He is all you will ever need to live the Christian life. It is all you will ever need. You don't need something else. You don't need psychological tricks. You don't need... Uh, anyway, you, you need Jesus Christ, and that's what he's going to focus on. So he gets to this verse, and he says, how are we going to work all this out? 
And he comes, this is the simplicity. I love when Paul gets back to the simplicity things. And he says it this way. As you have received Jesus Christ, the Lord, walk in him. How about that for simplicity? As you have received Jesus Christ, the Lord, now walk in him. I love that verse because it's so absolutely simple. Because it tells you this, that the way you're going to live the rest of your life is the same way you lived, or the same way you lived when you came to Christ in the first place. Let me review what happened to you when you came to Christ in the first place. We talked about some of this last week. You were going along your merry way. Now, again, I always say that I, I deal with so many kids who were raised in Christian homes, and that this happens when they were so little. It, I have to admit, I, I kind of I don't identify completely with them because I lived in the world for a while. All right, <laughs> so I know what it was like to be going along this way. And I know what it's like to be going along this way, and you don't care about whether there's a God, really. Ah, you, you're going to give your dues to God, but you, <laughs> it's just off to the side. You don't care about him, and you don't really, you're not really concerned about that situation. I wasn't terribly concerned. If I had realized where I was when I was in high school, I think I would have lived differently, but I didn't, and I, 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 it's just the way it was. And then what happened? God started to work in your life. See, it's by grace. <laughs> the grace of God. He came and worked in my life. And what did he do? He started telling me I was wrong. Right? He was alerting me to my need. He was alerting me that I was about to go off the edge of a cliff. That I was in danger of of real problems for eternity. And he comes and he tells me that. It took me a long time to get it, but he's going to come and he's going to tell me that I am in sin, that I have a guilt record before God that I can't clear and I can't even change my course. That the fear of hell is not enough to stem the tide of unrighteousness that is growing out of my heart. Now that took a couple years to get there. I didn't think I was there quite that bad, but he, he keeps pushing you there. Why is he telling you that? He's trying to tell you that you have a need that you can't answer. That's the first step in salvation is realizing I have a need which I cannot answer. What's the second step? The second step, which is quite simple, is God takes you to Jesus Christ and he tells you about an answer to your need. And he tells you what has been done to cure both the guilt and to deal with the, with the problem within. Right? And what was the third thing that happened to, to cap it? That's where we were last week. The third thing that happened is you came to a place of faith. You came and committed yourself to the one. You took hold of what he had done. I saw that he had paid a price on the cross which was sufficient for the whole of my standing before God. That I could not ever achieve a right standing. Even if he forgave this, I would continue to do wrong. I came to him and I entrusted myself to him on the basis of what he did on the cross. Right? And what happened? Well, I was born again with the Spirit of God. Same thing as this is true for all of us. We were all, if you've had that experience, you've come there. Now, that's how I came in. How am I going to continue to live? Well, the same things have to take place. What's the first thing? I have to recognize my need. Right? I have to recognize my need. I have to recognize that I have a need which can't be met in me. 
this is kind of bad news for a lot of people. They hope that once they've been converted, that then, then now surely I have what I need to just do right. But here's one of the interesting things about the salvation in Christ. He died the just for the unjust to bring you to God, and he's never going to let you leave. He doesn't supply a salvation which enables you to live apart from him. His salvation always links you to him and keeps you close. He's the good shepherd. And once you meet him, you're going to find that you're going to have to stay right beside him the rest of your life. Right? But he's going, to, he's going to relate to you that you have a need. What might that need be? It might be this sin. Let's say, let's just for the sake of, you have a temper. All right? You had that. And here's, just because you became a Christian doesn't mean that temper and the, the habit of blowing your top disappears. Now, when you were born again, a new desire came to glorify God. All right? And you will have a desire to, because you realize the consequences of that, to begin to, to see this dealt with. But the answer to dealing with that is not in you. All right? It's in what Jesus Christ has done for you because he is the beginning of your salvation. He is the end of your salvation. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. And so what does he do? He has, to, he has to show me how bad it really is. I've told students that when I was a student here, we played volleyball every day. We played volleyball for hours every day. There were only 12 of us. 12 of us thrown into this volleyball game. You think, oh, it wouldn't be sweet to all the students playing together. Well, I happen to be very competitive. And I'm just going to tell you right now, Mr. Johnson was also quite competitive. And there were five guys on in that of those 12 who were hyper-competitive. And Mr. Carroll jumped in there with us. And Mr. Carroll didn't like to lose either, right? <laughs> Let me just say that. I mean, this is going to be. So here's all these competitive people having a friendly, godly game of, of volleyball. And there would be days before the end of that year where I spent the entire afternoon over here trying to calm my soul. And we had near, near fisticuffs out on the field. We never had one then. We've had them since, but not then. <laughs> I mean, it happened. And I remember we had one very violent moment. I mean, let's say it was verbally violent. And this girl just laughed. He just laughed at us. And he took us aside and he said, you know what? It's called the crucible. It's good you're in there. Because he said most Christians, they they live lives in which they try to isolate themselves from difficult circumstances so that they won't look bad. And God wants to shove you right into there because he wants all the junk to come out. And he wants it to rise to the surface so he can get rid of it. Not just subdue it and keep it nicely contained. He's not putting it in containers, you know, and sealing it off. Like, you know, you seal off asbestos. Let's seal it off so it can't get to us. He wants to go in and take it out. And that's what he was doing. He was forcing it to the surface. Why? He was showing me that I had no capacity in myself to do other than that. (laughs) I was going to blow up on this. How am I going to get there? How am I going to get there? Well, that's the first step. As you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord... So walking him, there came a day when I realized I could not, I couldn't deal with the righteousness that God demands. I can't do the right thing on my own. There's some things I can do, but I can't live up to my high calling. Then what happens? Then he tells me something about Jesus Christ. 
And then he calls me to trust him in accordance with what he's done. What has he done? That's what we want to see next. I want to spend just a little bit of time tonight. As if we're going to have, fill this out. It's not just that I come to Jesus and say, Jesus, help. What did he do for me? How does he make it possible for me to overcome the tendencies, the nature that I had? We could call it flesh. You can call it theologians wanted to argue about the details of it, but we all know it's there. So what do we have to go to? Let's go back to Romans chapter, Romans, excuse me, um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. And says, so this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Uh, I want to start off by reading that part because Paul says here, whatever you do, you can't live like people around you. And you cannot compare yourself to people around you. I want, I want to say that. In this day, we have tendencies sometimes, I think, in the church. And there's, you're justified, right? You're justified. And the thought is that, well, because I'm justified, you know, we're just like everybody else. God understands that. Well, God understands it. <laughs> I'll say that. He understands that you have problems. But you're not like everybody else. And he says there's two things that people who are in the world don't have that you have. Number one, they don't understand. They have no insight into what's going on. A Christian does. A Christian knows the beginning and the end and what's happening, at least in general. We don't know the details of what God is doing in lives or in this world. or all the, But we know where it's going. And we know what God's plan is for everything. All right? The second thing is they're cut off from the life of God. They have no life. They were just where we were, right? We're dead in our trespasses and sins. They can't do otherwise because they are by nature children of wrath. But if you have come to being reborn of the Spirit of God, you have available to you resources that they don't have. I cannot compare myself to them, right? And say, well, they do it, and God's just, just going to do this. No, I'm a different person. We are different people. Not just me, but we are different people. So we go on down, and I want to skip part of that there. And he's talking about the way they live. And verse 20, and again, they're living. Let me just, well, let's go ahead and read it. Verse 19, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of, of every kind of impurity with greediness. I want you to note two things because it just I have to go quickly past this one. But there are two forces that drive the whole world that we're living in: greed and lust. That's just that's what drives the whole thing: greed and lust. Doesn't take too long to figure that one out, huh? He's saying, but you didn't learn Christ this way. You're not driven by greed and lust. You have to be driven in a completely different way. You have to live a completely different way. And now he describes it. All right. <clears throat> If indeed you've heard and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, that former manner of life for each of us are the particular ways in which we habitually sinned. It varies from individual to individual. Now, we're all in the same. There are some basics, but some have more temper problems. Some don't. I was highly competitive. Some people aren't highly competitive. They don't care. I can't even imagine that. You don't care whether you win. Why do you play? All right? so it's a, I, I, can't, I can't grasp that. 
Some people are more proud than other people. Their, their whole thing is pride. They do not want to be injured. You will not touch my pride. That's the way they live beforehand. Now that's, that's their problem. Another person's, it's, it's all in lust and impurity. It's just different people, different ways. So when he speaks about the former manner of life, he's talking to us about the detail of who you happen to be. You know what that was. You knew the things that governed your life beforehand. Right? He says, with respect to all that, here's what I want you to do, he says. Right? He's going back here. Um, in refer- re- with reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. You just lay it aside. Now you say, whoa. Paul, have you ever been tempted? Lay it aside. Now, if Paul had not said other things, you would be in the same place that we were before trying to get this done. But he's telling us something. He's already told us. I've been crucified with Christ. Is that, that was in Galatians 2.20, right? I've been crucified with Christ. He said earlier in the passage in Ephesians that when we were dead, he made us alive together with Christ and raised us up. When you were born together, the Spirit of God, he put life in you, but he put life in you by reuniting, or by uniting you to Jesus Christ. Now, I can't tell you exactly how all that works. <laughs> just to say again, this is where I used to try to explain it to people and go like, I don't know what I'm talking about. I just know that I have a chance to share in the experience of Jesus Christ. That not only did, it, did God put the guilt of my sin on Jesus on the cross, he put me on Jesus Christ on the cross. The person I was had to die, and the person I was did die. All right? Paul says in Romans, don't you know that as many of us as are baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Right? We've become partakers. In other words, we've been placed into him in such a way that his death becomes our death. And that death brings an end to a hold that sin had on us. Right? It makes it possible for every person in this room tonight who has entrusted themselves to Jesus to say no to the old practices. Now, here's where the point came. Oh, I don't know. Remember what we talked about Eve way back in the beginning, if you were hearing that? She had two sets of information in front of you. God said, this is the way it is. The devil says, this is the way it is. And we, we said that faith is choosing what God says and building your life on what he says, right? God says that those people who have entrusted themselves to him, he has put them to death in Jesus Christ in such a way that the old self no longer has dominion over sin, doesn't have dominion because it no longer has dominion. Now, Everybody in this room is going to have to make up their mind whether they're going to listen to the pressure of your soul or you're going to listen to what God said. Faith is building on what he said, right? So when we put off the old practices, that he's, he's getting down to real practical things. I want to lie or I'm pre- pressured to lie, but lying is wrong. I won't lie because that's one of the applications he's going to make. Let those that have lied, don't, don't lie anymore. In a world like ours where nothing is true, I mean, does <laughs> I mean, anybody tell the truth? Lies are so common. So put that aside, all right? 
He's going to talk about stealing. He's getting to real concrete things. He's not talking about ethereal things or lustful thoughts. He doesn't have that application in here, but that would be one. It's, that's a wrong thought. This adultery is a wrong action. You could uh, steal. You could, again, anger. The, he said, be angry. There is a time to be angry because if you love the Lord, sin has to make you angry. But don't sin. Don't let that catch up with you. All right, so set this aside. Now, you can do that. That's you can do it not because you're powerful, not because you have discipline, but because you've been united to Jesus Christ. And there is now in the believer a flow of life which is powerful enough to enable you to say no, but you have to do the say no. That's just what the Bible is clear all the way through it. I have to do that say no. If I don't say no, the power is it, <laughs> there. I have, to, I have to do what? I have to live by faith, right? But that's not the whole of it. If all you do is say no to a behavior, you're going to get back to that behavior. It's just that simple. Because then you're living an empty life. <laughs> if you don't fill the gap, if you don't change the conduct, you got in that problem because of a difficult, because of, of something else. All right? It's, it's one of those things. We don't work on Proverbs anymore. All right? I grew up in the Proverb days. I think my grandmother knew every proverb there ever was. And she didn't mind quoting them. And here's one of those ones. Idle mind? What? Anybody know the name of it? Devil's Workshop. You want to have problems in your mind? Don't do anything with it. Let it just let it just drift. Don't give it something practical to occupy. Well, in a sense, that's kind of what the thought is here, that if if all I do is try to stop a behavior, I find out I can't stop the behavior because that's not what God's after. He's not after you just stopping wrong behaviors. What he's after is you being conformed to the image of his son. And so he goes on to say this, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be changed in the way you look at life. I think that this is the one that I have the greatest concern that people get hold of. Because sometimes we, we think about the put off and put on. You can have the put off, put on. Let's put off this. I mean, that's all simple. But that's that kind of looks a whole lot like legalism, you know, put off lying and tell truth. Do this. You can make a whole lot of rules that say don't do this, do this. Don't do this, do this. But, you know, you can you can keep a whole lot of the, the biblical rules and not look like Jesus Christ. Unless the heart is changed, unless the inner man is conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, sooner or later, you're going to go back. What drove the world? Lust and greed. It's what still drives the world. If I don't have a different kind of outlook than the world, I will be driven by lust and greed. For a while, a person can subdue that. But unless there is something changed in the depths of my heart, it has to bubble over somewhere, even if I keep it horribly or well contained in my own soul god can see it but maybe nobody else will so what is the change this is what is the change what is the change in the spirit of my mind all right now i want to talk about that before i talk about the putting on because the putting on becomes pretty obvious after you you get there what is it about my mind that has to change I have to change my outlook about what life is about. I have to change the outlook 
And again, I'm, I'm coming, bringing to this because Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, all written almost exactly the same time. All right, they're written very short order. So it means that Paul's thinking about certain things, and they're swirling around in all three of those books. And so the vocabulary of those three books kind of overlaps. It goes back and forth. In the second chapter of the book of Philippians, he says this, Let this mind be in you. You know that one. Let this mind be in you, which was what? It's Christ's mind. It was also in Christ Jesus. And he tells you that what the Lord did was left the entirety of his blessing in eternity to come to this earth. What blessing was there for Jesus to come to this earth? He's a man of sorrows on this earth, acquainted with grief. He is a sinless nature. Can you imagine if you have any degree of sanctification, you go into certain situations and you're just you're irritated. If you've begun to understand humility and you're forced to be near pride, it drives you nuts. If you are beginning to try to be pure and you're suddenly immersed in people that want to be impure, it's, it's an ugly situation. And you can go on down the line. If you want to tell truth and you can't count on anybody, if you want to have language which is correct language and you have to force to listen to other kinds of language, it bothers you, right? Imagine what the Lamb of God went through as he comes to this earth. He came unto his own and they didn't buy it. Came unto his own and his own didn't receive him. Think about what did Jesus get out of life? from the perspective of what the television commercials tell you you ought to get out of life. He didn't get any of it. He was an alien here his entire life. And there was a place he came from that was pure and holy and great, and he was worshipped there. But he left it. Why did he leave it? He left it because I had a need that I couldn't answer. There was no reason for him to come, and there was nothing in me that drew him here. But he expressed the greatness and the glory of God in that he left that, came to the earth, and lived the life of a slave. He was a servant, a bond servant. It's a slave. He, he did exactly what his father told him to do. No more, no less. His life was not a free life on this earth. He didn't go, he didn't vacation, he didn't do all the things, he didn't have a hobby on the side, it seemed. He did one thing. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Right? Now, we have to stop and think of how far that is from where my, I have to think about, I'll keep it with me, and you can come along if you want. Before I was converted, it was all about me. The universe ended with my, as far as I could reach. People were there in order for me to get, get more out of life. I didn't really care that much about other people. At times, okay, you have a little sentimental moment, but it was a moment. And those sentimental moments were only if I had some time to give to them. But of course, if there was a good movie, uh, well, I can't do that this weekend. Got the idea. It's just, it was all about me. Jesus came here and it was all about you. It was all about me. <laughs> We're both living about me. But he's living on this earth for the sake of us. Now he says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Do you realize what that means? I mean, have we ever, have we thought that through? 
I've been praying a lot for revival. And I'm wondering, do we get it? That if I'm to live like Jesus Christ on this earth, I become a servant. A servant to other. I first of all become a servant to God. And I become that servant to God because I love God. That's the force of this life. But when you become a servant to God who loves God, you know what the Lord's going to say to you? Take care of other people. That service to God is going to be expressed without exception in service to regular people who don't deserve it, who are right around you. How about that? Remember when Peter was restored by the Lord? Right? Peter, do you love me? All right. What do you say to him? Okay, if you love me, what? Feed my sheep. Here's what. Here's your assignment, Peter, for the rest of your life. Feed my sheep. Give up your boat here. <laughs> leave the boat. You can you can leave it. Feed my sheep. And feed my sheep, even though the feeding of my sheep and the taking care of my people is going to lead to a moment when you will have to give up your life involuntarily. All right, they're going to take it from you. But that's okay. That's okay because I want you to what? Walk with me. Follow me. Join me. Join me in my path. See, that's, that's what God's always at calling. He's calling us to know Him. He died the just for the unjust to bring us to God. And this is what God's like. And so, if He wants to bring this to pass, that I should have a renewing of my mind. Now, in the passage here, we want to note this passive. Be renewed. This is what God's going to bring to pass. And in a way, it's presented in most places. Even in the book of Philippians, there's a little bit of that hint. Let this mind be in you. The thought is that God's going to bring it to pass in a real believer. He's going to force you towards this. Let it happen. Let this happen. Let God make you this. Make you this. It's the same thing that Jesus said when he was alive. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. What? Take my yoke upon you. Remember, he said, take a yoke. You know what happens when you get to be a yoke on you? You're a service animal. They put yokes on oxen that pulled pulled stuff. They it was it's you're you're under control. You've given it up. You become a servant to somebody else. Take my yoke upon you. I'm in this one. You get that one. And learn from me because I'm meek and lowly of heart. And what's he say? You're going to find rest for your soul. Now, here's the point of faith you've got to get. If you're going to really, if you're ever going to live a godly life, I believe this. You've got to get the idea that in losing your life, you find it. That's a big point of faith. Are you going to find life? By developing it and preparing and, and keeping it? Or are you going to find life by giving it away and letting God let you find life by serving other people? Because that's how he found life. That, that's how he... What did he say on this earth while he's here? My, my food, what feeds me, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his purpose. In serving him, in serving others, I'm fed. I'm fed. I don't need food from the outside. I need it from the inside. Restored in the spirit of your mind. When you get a different kind of mind where you're a servant to God, you love God, you're a servant to God, and you're serving people, what's going to happen? Then you're going to know what to put on. What are you going to put on? Not just the opposite is conduct, but conduct which is a blessing to other people. You're going to say words that edify instead of saying bad words. You are going to, again, in the passage, he says it later on here, that instead of stealing, you're going to work. But you're not going to just work so you can get rich. 
You're going to work so you can serve, so you can give to those that have need. Now, that's what going. <laughs> you who are you have been identified with Jesus Christ in His death, in His burial, in His resurrection, so that the life of Christ might be within you. Where were we at the very beginning? Paul says this: I have been crucified with Christ. That's the old man Paul. It's gone. Nevertheless, I live. Yet what? Not I. Christ is alive within us. He's alive in me. And the life that I now live, and what was it for Paul? Beatings, stonings, shipwreck, rejection. Remember one point he says this, that I believe God is determined to present the apostles as the off-scouring of the earth, the junk that's left over when you wash the dishes. That was his life, right? But he says, I get to live that life, but that's the life of Christ within me. But as I live that life, I can do the things that God called me to do, and I can mean something. Life, death works in us, all right? But what? Life works in you. Life works in you. How is it that we're going to live that life? We're going to live by faith. We're going to count on the Lord to be our life. We're going to put these aside because God, in identifying with him with Him in his death, has made it possible for this to lose its power. I'm going to let God renew. I'm going to let him, I'm going to ask him, and I'm going to let him renew my whole spirit to the point where I become a servant to the people around me. And as I do that, then I'm going to put on the behaviors of Jesus Christ. And that has to do with the people that are right around us. If we let God do that, we will know what it is to live by faith in the Son of God. That's how that pressure is going to be overcome. And no longer does lust and greed dominate the reason we live, but we are dominated by a determination to love God and to serve Him by serving people around us. A whole lot of sin drops off at that point if I give my life to that end. It's a wonderful thing to know the Lord. The best part about it in the whole whole deal, this whole time is going on, you're walking with Him. Because I'm putting on his mind because it's it's him alive in me, right? I'm putting on the value of what he did for me on the cross day by day in dying to this. I put on the new life that I've been raised to in Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thing to know that. Where are we tonight? That's that's the important question for you. Have you seen that? Are you letting God do that for you? Are we ready to do it? To let God... Make us into ones who look like Jesus Christ. Okay, let's pray. Father, we come and ask you to fulfill your purpose in each one of us. Father, we're asking you to push to the surface everything that's short of the mark and strengthen us by the Spirit of God to allow you to extract. Strengthen us in our inner men to lay hold of the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Lord, we ask you to glorify your name here and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.